let's read this passage together today. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 21. It says, What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love in the spirit of gentleness? Father, we just pray for the few moments you'll give us today that you will use me to minister to your people. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there, there are a couple of ways to help a person uh, who has not swam before to get into the water. You can gently guide them into the water, allowing their body to uh, adjust to the cold temperature, allow them to experience this new atmosphere a little at a time as they learn to appreciate the satisfying nature of this cool experience on a hot summer day. On the other hand, you can rush in behind them, push them in, and let them abruptly experience this cold water, changing their life forever and possibly allowing them to not ever want to swim again in their life. Both of them accomplish the same thing. The person got in the water. One allows the person to appreciate and learn to enjoy a new thing. The other, on the other hand, can cause a reaction that can leave a person scarred. A side note, can also cause you to sleep on the couch for a week if it's your wife. But anyway... Today we continue um, our journey through our study of belief. We've been journeying through what it means to think, act, and be like Jesus. And being like Jesus means to have peace. It means uh, to be patient. It means to have self-control and, and love and other virtues that exemplify a life lived for Jesus. Today we want to talk about the virtue of gentleness. The word used in Galatians where the fruit of the Spirit are listed and the word that's used here in 1 Corinthians in this passage we're reading is the Greek word proutes. Um, and there are a couple of words that are used in the New Testament that translate gentleness, but this word seems to capture all the definitions of the word. Gentleness involves being meek. Gentleness, it involves being humble. Um, this word tells us, though, that as a fruit of the Spirit, we have something that starts there, but it goes further than that. This word speaks not only of a person's um, outward behavior, but this word speaks not only of how I relate to one another in my natural disposition, it goes further and describes a grace that is embroidered into the soul. It is a part of the fabric of the believer, and it, and it, um, it expresses itself in understanding that whatever situation I'm in whatever situation God places me in, I'm going to accept it as God's will and not as confinement, not as imprisonment, but as an opportunity to show the love of God in the midst of this situation. It is, it is the attitude of accepting God's dealings with us as good and not as um, disrupting. The verse we're looking at to explain this virtue is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, the background of 1 Corinthians is Paul, the writer of this letter, is addressing uh, this church that was basically dysfunctional. They were fighting over leadership. They were fighting over giftedness. They were um, allowing sinful behavior to go unaddressed and to go unpunished. And Paul really just wanted to dismiss this church. He wanted to just let them go but, and go on with his life. But in the midst of his desire to see them cast away, in the, in the midst of him wanting to just be forgotten, he recognizes that he has a quality born within him by the Spirit to accept the challenge before him and address them with gentleness. 
Not weakness, as we'll see, because as we see throughout the book, some of his language is strong. But it's swaddled in this atmosphere of gentleness. What I hope we learn today is gentleness should be expressed in our character and conversation and is modeled by our Christ. Gentleness should be expressed in our character and our conversation and is modeled by our Christ. Now, three basic points I want to make about that today. Are you interested? You might as well be. You showed up. <laughs> First thing is this. Gentleness provides a character that is soothing, not abrasive. Gentleness provides a character that is soothing, not abrasive. Proud taste, proud taste. According to Aristotle, is the middle standing between two extremes. Getting angry without reason and not getting angry at all. He says, therefore, a proud taste is getting angry at the right time, in the right measure, and for the right reason. This word is not easily expressed in English since the term meekness suggests weakness. He says, but it is a condition of mind and heart which demonstrates gentleness, not in weakness, but in power. It's, it's a balance born in strength of character. It's the picture of taming wild animals. You know, when a wild animal uh, was tamed in this time, they would say this word, proutes. It was describing that it was tamed, not weak. The strength of the animal was not gone. In, in the case of taming a horse, the horse didn't lose its power. It just learned how to take power under control. And it, it's unfortunate that the English word gentleness has come to have the popular connotation of wimpish, wimpiness or weakness or non-assertive or, or this lack of vigor. But as an expression of the fruit of the Spirit, gentleness is strength under control. Power harnessed, harnessed in, in loving service and in respectful actions. Gentleness is the ability to be wrongly accused and to pray for those who mistreat you. How often are we addressed with something wrongly? Someone approaches us in a bad way and, and we start trying to think of stuff the other person has done, waiting for an opportunity to retaliate. You know, most arguments with our spouse are two people trying to show the other person who's right, rather than trying to find the truth and live with the consequences. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, I could have come with the rod. Would you rather I find ways to beat you down or ways to lift you up? Gentleness is having the ability and power to make someone pay for what they have done, yet choose to forgive them and even go beyond that and bless that person. One who is gentle in this sense will not attempt to push others around. They, they will not arrogantly impose their will on, on subordinates or peers. So, so that begs the question, how are you at work? Do you have to throw your power around? Do you, do you have to find ways to talk down to people so they know you're in charge? Do you find ways to make people feel demoralized, thinking that that will make them respect you? Or do you treat people with respect? Do you treat people with kindness and gentleness, earning respect because you are respectful? You know, for the Christian, being gentle means submission to the will of God. The third beatitude uh, says, blessed are the meek. Set that word there, Matthew 5 and 5. It talks about the kind of person who is faithful and submissive to God, even in the midst of trial. 
The meekness or, or gentleness that is blessed by our Lord is not weakness, it's strength. The meek person is the person who knows his or her strength, but submits that strength to Christ in the ministry and love of others. Knowing that as I come across, I want to I I talk to you, I want to engage in a way that allows me to accomplish a purpose, but not cause collateral damage. Once a friend of mine, he had duct tape on the side of his car to hold up a sign he was trying to advertise his business. That's, that's another story. <laughs> when he removed the duct tape, it left the sticky residue from the backside of the duct tape on the car. So I grab a sponge like a good friend, and I'm trying to wash the duct tape off the car, and it, it seemed to be working, but it was taking forever, and he gets upset. He goes and get a scrubber. He takes a scrubber, and he starts scrubbing the, the, uh, the residue off the car, and he says, now that's how you get things done. But when we washed the car and we wiped off the soap and we dried it, we noticed that not only did he remove the residue from the duct tape, he also scratched up his car, which caused $600 in damage. He got the job done, but it left him with collateral damage. If he, had a, if he could just, just calm down a little bit and let me take time, he could have fixed the problem without collateral damage. He in, instead fixed the immediate problem because long-term damage. You know, some of us feel like we need to fix people, fix situations, fix ministries, and fix relationships. And instead of a steady dose of the Word of God, instead of a, a gentle washing of the Holy Spirit, instead of a, a steady cleansing of peace, we scrub the situation. We scrub it with pushy attitudes. We, we scrub it with, uh, uh, with aggressive personalities. We scrub them um, with unthought-through actions, and we scrub the situation thinking we're getting things done when it may look like we're accomplishing something quickly, but in reality, we're causing long-term damage that in some cases never gets repaired. You know, it reminds me of Martin Luther King. People, people would argue with Dr. King and say he was too passive because of his, his peaceful approach. They would argue that he wasn't aggressive enough, that he didn't use the by my, any means necessary approach, that he wasn't getting anything done. But he realized he could be the bull in the china shop, but at the end of the day, the collateral damage would be worse than the current state of the community, and he decided to approach it with gentleness and actually see things get done. We need to see that gentleness for the believer has to show in our character. Because yes, we want to see things get done, but with gentleness, there's less collateral damage. Gentleness provides a character that is inviting, not abrasive. Secondly, gentleness promotes a conversation that is pleasant, not repulsive. Gentleness promotes a conversation that is pleasant and not rep repulsive. Okay, so, so here's the question. Do your words represent the rod or the spirit of gentleness? So Paul, in addressing this church, he could have taken this opportunity to do a verbal lashing. He could have ripped them to shreds, but instead he used the spirit of God and the power of the word of God to speak into that situation so that what was delivered was receivable and not repulsive. One way the Bible describes the tongue is to compare it to a sword. Proverbs 12 and 18 says, there is one whose rash words are like a sword thrust. A sword. Another significant thing about a sword is that it is not as effective across the room as it is at arm's length. 
from across the room. I could, I could lunge at you, but you really need not be alarmed because the sword can't reach you. I could throw the sword at you, but chances are by the time it reached you, you could dodge the sword. I could impress you by maneuvering the sword around and slicing in the air, but the sword can't come close enough to actually cause you any damage. But allow me to get within arm's length, and the sword can cause trouble. The sword that was useless from across the room is deadly when it's up close. And so it goes for words. The closer you are, the deadlier they can be. As a bystander or a stranger, you can ridicule me, maybe try to imitate me, but because I don't know you, I can pushably, possibly brush it off. As an acquaintance or an associate, your words may poke and prod a little, but nothing a little time won't heal. However, if you're my friend, if you're my family member or, or a trusted colleague, a brother or sister in Christ, your words are as deadly as a sword being lunged into my stomach or a knife being deliberately placed in my back. For some people, change is workable in every other part of, of their life, but the mouth is like a war zone. They are unable to keep it under control. They, they don't know when to speak or when to be quiet, and, and their tongue reveals itself as the part of their Christian walk that needs a major overhaul. So men, how many times have you been angry from something that happened at work only to come home and take it out on your wife and children? Does your family wait in anticipation for you to come home, or do they shudder as they hear your keys unlock the front door? Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 and verse 21, 19 says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Verse 21 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So women, how many times have you in your frustration of what your husband has not done reduced him to less than a man by belittling him with words that are not gentle at all? 1 Peter 3 and 4 says, for you ladies, be, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. You could change your home's atmosphere by bringing in a gentle spirit. You know, we read that verse, Proverbs 12 and 18, the the the, the this words are like the sword. The other half of that verse says, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. As a believer, my speech should be different. People should know that I'm saved when I open my mouth. People should hear words of encouragement, words that edify, that build, that uplift, not words that intimidate, not words that control, words that heal. And I know at one time you had a, a certain language that allowed you to fit right in with the rest of the world. But now that you are in the body, you should show some signs of growth. Having the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit should provide healing when you open your mouth to speak to people. You, you should have words that are pleasant, not repulsive. Pleasant, not rotten. Nobody likes rotten words. Nobody wants to come near rotten words. You know, I don't know if you've ever smelled a rotten egg. Well, one Easter when I was growing up, you know, my dad's pastor, he pastor in Austin, um, and we were growing up, we'd have Easter egg hunts around the church, and they would, 
They would hide the eggs all around the church, and the kids would find the eggs and, and bring them back, and we'd count how many we found, you know, that whole deal. Well, apparently, one Easter, we didn't find all the eggs. All we knew was there was a smell in this room of the church that was despicable. I mean, we searched under every chair. Uh, we had the carpet cleansed. Um, um, the, the, the smell kept returning. And, I mean, it was that class. Nobody wanted to have their Sunday school class in there. It was business meetings about it. It was, it was horrible. One day, we're walking around the church and found that an egg from Easter months past had been left outside near that room. And the egg had spoiled, and the foul smell was so strong that it went inside the room and left that room uninhabitable. It made that room repulsive. It, it made that room, the smell was so bad, nobody wanted to go near that room. No one wanted to be in the presence because the stench of the egg ruined the atmosphere. Some of our words have become like rotten eggs. Some of our conversations are so spoiled that nobody wants to get near them. You open your mouth and negativity comes out. You open out your mouth and the critical spirit comes out. You open your mouth and rotten words spoil the atmosphere so that no one wants to come near. And if enough of that happens in a church, the whole church is affected. So no one wants to come near a church with spoiled conversations or rotten attitudes or foul personalities. That's why at Colonial, one of our core values is being a safe harbor. We lead with grace in every relationship. That's why we speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. That's why we give words of affirmation. That's why we encourage one another all the more as the day of the Lord approaches. That's why the proverb says in Proverbs 16 and 24, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Our conversation is changed by the gentleness of our spirit. So one, gentleness provides a character that is inviting, not abrasive. Secondly, we learn gentleness promotes a conversation that is pleasant, not repulsive. Third and finally, gentleness is personified in Christ who is forgiving, not dismissive. Let me say that again. Gentleness is personified in Christ who is forgiving, not dismissive. So Paul, when talking to this Corinthian church, he says, I could have gave you the rod, but I'm more effective if I come with love and gentleness. Paul was speaking to this church out of his own experience. Paul was a persecutor of the church. It was, it was his life mission to see anyone who had anything to, to do with promoting this man named Jesus was put in jail or killed. He wanted anyone who claimed to be part of a church gone. He wanted anyone associated with Christ to be eliminated. That is until he met Christ himself. When Paul was on his way to get approval to put more Christians in bondage, Jesus shows up and causes Paul to lose his sight. Now, when Jesus took his sight away, he could have done Paul in. He could have had him buried alive. Jesus could have caused Paul to go blind and had him run off a cliff. But instead of dismissing Paul, he gave him an assignment. Instead of, uh, of doing him in, he gave him a purpose. He put him on the right track so that now Paul has an example of what it looks like to help others get on the right track in the spirit of gentleness. 
Now we understand that Jesus being gentle does not mean he was weak. It meant he had power under control. He shows his power to those who are stubborn, like, like, like those immorally exchanging money in the temple who he had to run off with his whip. But we see him softly address the prostitute who's looking for living water. We see him address this religious group of finger pointers by calling them a brood of vipers that uh, need to be chopped at the root. But we see him call the woman caught in adultery a daughter whose sins have been forgiven. He is the Jesus with all power in his hands, and he is the Jesus that says, suffer the little children to come unto me. He is Jesus the king riding on the horse with the sword, and he is Jesus who saw me one day dying in my trespasses and sin and cared enough about me to take a moment out of history, come to earth, live amongst us, take on the shame of the world, and let them nail him to the cross. This is the gentle Jesus, not weak, but powerful enough to stay on the cross when he could have come down. You see, you have to have a gentle spirit to be able to heal a man's ear who's trying to arrest you. You have to have a gentle heart to be able to say, love your enemy and pray for those who despitefully use you. You have to have a gentle heart to be able to say, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. You have to have a gentle heart to allow people to have that, that you have more power than to bury you in a grave. But now, because of his gentleness, I can have the same gentleness because of the power of the resurrection. Because of the example he gave us, we too can be gentle by the power that lies within us. So therefore, we can be gentle because gentleness is not weakness, but is power under control. And the church said, Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the spirit which enables us to be gentle. When we pray, Father, that our gentleness allows us to be lights in our dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.